Warning, the following podcast contains adult language and childish comedy. Listener discretion is advised. And now, please adjust your headphone volume to an unreasonable level and enjoy the most dynamic and electrifyingly entertaining podcast ever to conquer cyberspace. This is Amish Baby Machine. Hello, friends, and welcome to the most powerful podcast ever created, the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast, starring me, Dags. Today, we have a powerful show, and as always, our powerful co-host is Mike Rez. Shock the monkey, Dags. Shock the monkey. What made you think of Shock the monkey? I don't know. It just popped in my head. Just went with it. Powerful Peter Gabriel, Shock the monkey. Yeah. Love Peter Gabriel. Never should have left Chicago. Why is that? Well. Because I think that uh, that group had a lot to offer with him in it. Powerfully wrong, but powerfully funny. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. We have a great show today. We're going to talk about the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle and the mysterious disappearance of Flight 19. We have a powerful beer review. And as always, a powerful song of the day. Yeah, we got uh, another theme. We have a. Uh... A beer that refers to dark magic. Our song of the day refers to dark mythical characters. And we have disappearances in the Bermuda Triangle. It's a very mysterious show today. I'm excited. Mike Rez is excited. And I know the fans of Flock of Amish are excited always. Always excited. Can't wait to get into this. What should we do first? Should we do beer? Let's talk beer. All right. Grab your beverages, my friends. All right, so we're going to take a a mini vacation from the fruit-flavored beer that uh, you've been enjoying, Dags, and we're going to bring the flock back to when beer was What are you doing with your hands now? You got your hands like you're grabbing a big pair of cones. (laughs) What is that? I'm just, this is my, how I talk when I'm talking about manly beer. Wow. Are you Italian? Because you're speaking with your hands. I should be Italian. I've been accused of being Italian. Have you? I have, yeah. So have I. Yeah. Well, you... <laughs> Powerful. It, it, it makes more sense for me than you, but Amish here we Italian. are. Yeah, Amish Italian. It's like being Amish Mexican. It is. Powerful. All right, we're going to delve into the new Belgium beers and tell you about uh, the beer that I enjoyed a couple weeks ago. Uh, now, Dag, some breweries talk a big game with IPAs and some breweries do IPAs so good that that's like a staple of what they brew and new Belgium loves to brew IPAs and they're really good at it. And I like this one that I tried from them. It's part of their voodoo Ranger IPA line and it's juicy haze IPA juicy haze. Yeah. I'm going to show you the picture. That's a beautiful picture. It's a nice picture, isn't I it? Do, I do like the graphics. That's cool. Yeah, so the graphics is uh, the Voodoo Ranger is a skeleton. Uh, in the Juicy Haze, he has a kind of a Hawaiian-themed leather jacket on. I don't know if you can, you can see that, Dags. I can. It's powerful. Okay. I like it. Yeah, and he's wearing a, what kind of hat would you call that? It's not a derby. 
let me see it. Get it closer to my powerful. I am examining the powerful hat. Let's see here. What is that? Is that kind of like a fedora? That's the word I was looking for. That's a fedora with a card on the side of the hat. Plus, he's also got like an aviator bomber's hat underneath that. So this skeleton is very confused. But he's also going with the theme of the show. Yes, ties in the bomber. Right. So the Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze IPA, packed with bright tropical aromas and brilliant citrusy flavors. Brilliant. Unfiltered. And you could tell by the picture it was unfiltered. Yes, powerfully unfiltered. Yeah, and that wraps it up with a pleasantly smooth finish, according to New Belgium's website. And I have to agree, it was a delicious IPA. Sometimes I forgot I was drinking an IPA. That's how good this was. Whoa. Juicy Haze. Juicy Haze, right? Juicy Haze. It's a good Sounds song. like a, an actor from a 70s uh, movie or something. I think that was Stallone's character's name in his first movie, wasn't it? Juicy Haze. Juicy Haze. <laughs> anyway, so the uh, alcohol by volume is a powerful 7.5%. Whoa. Yeah, this one's going to make you feel it. Now, most of the beers you've been drinking, that's on the higher end? That's on the high end, yeah. So if you're, uh, you want to compare it to a Coors Light, that Coors Light's in like the fours. No, but I meant out of, out of your craft beers. Yeah, yeah, it's still pretty high. Even that, that's pretty yeah. high for yours? Yeah. Mm-hmm. IBUs, though, is a 42, the bitterness units. So that blows yours out of the water, so the stuff you've been drinking. But it's not as high as some of the other IPAs I've had. I've had IPAs up in the 60s. Whoa. Yeah, so this is- Much uh, like my IQ. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, your yeast that they use is the American Hefeweizen. That helps with the unfiltered cloudy look because a Hefeweizen is a little, little cloudy to begin with. Now, the little bit I know, I, do, I know I enjoy that beer. That's a wheat beer, correct? Correct. White? Yes. Excellent. Or a wit, depending on what part of the world you're from. Yes. Uh, calories per bottle. Who cares? But go ahead. 230. Whoa. Yeah, that's crazy. That's like, you know, eating half a cheeseburger. Put some meat on your bones. Right? Uh, your hops are uh, Citra, Cascade, Centennial, Simcoe, and Nugget. Ooh, our fans like the Nugs. Yes. And your malts are Pale, Wheat, Oats, and my favorite, C80. C80? Yeah, it's better than the other 79 Cs. I call it Charlie 80. Oh, good call. Good call, but it uh, the mouth the mouth feel and body because that's really what people want to know about the mouth feel. The mouth feel. It's a clean finish with a medium body. Whoa! It's a delicious beer. It is. Yes, and I want everyone to go out. The flock needs to find it because New Belgium is available in a lot of places across this country. And I know our flock is vast. It's powerful. Yeah. So they I, need I, to go. I out saw and find even it. in Australia. Really? The fans, yes. That's amazing. Yes. Powerful. Good day, mates. We love the Aussies. Yeah. So go out and find New Belgium Voodoo Ranger out of five pint glasses. I'm giving this a four. Whoa, it's a good one. It's a good one, yeah. Juicy like Haze. It. Juicy Haze. Voodoo Ranger. Juicy Haze. Excuse me while I drink this bitter-ass beer. <laughs> Powerful. Wow, you're really into... The music today, you've been singing like crazy yes. already. I've been singing, rapping, presence. No, I don't rap. I wish I could rap, though. Presence or like actually rap? Hip-hop rap. Hip-hop yeah. rap? Yeah. We've got to find you a nice beat. 
Yeah. Well, I, I do have the powerful rhythm. I'll give myself that. Okay. I do have rhythm. You have blues? Yes. Yeah. The 2020 has given me the blues. <laughs> Definitely. God, this year blows. But you know what's good? I went back to the gym. Did you? How'd you Powerful. do? Did you lose a lot of your gains? It's all muscle memory. Is it? It's like an elephant. Powerful muscle memory. Do you have to have muscle to have memory? Yes. I have powerful memories of muscle. That sounds kind of weird. But it's <laughs> when I went in there, it was hot as hell. Yeah. And they had the water turned off. There was no drinking fountains. No drinking fountains? No, so what am I going to do? So I had, to, I had the hoodie on, and I started working out, and then I went up there, and they were all closed off. I'm like, oh, shit. This is not good. What, did, you, did you drink your sweat like a real man Yes, would? I urinated. Did I, you? I recycled. You, you did the, the uh, Kevin Costner from Waterworld? I did the bare grills. <laughs> I took the, the grills off my teeth and bared it and drank some urine. Powerful. Did you have a filter straw like Bear Grylls would have? No, it's like I like my IPA, unfiltered. <laughs> no, but it was Bitter. good. It was good to be. It was good to be back in the gym, but it was hot as fuck and no water. So I'm gonna have to bring in like a 55 gallon drum or something. Did they have restrictions? What's that? Did they have restrictions on how many people could be in the gym? They didn't. I thought they would be, and they didn't. That's pretty. pretty it was cool. Good. It was very yeah. lawless. Yeah, I would say so. It'd be like, just work out and don't care about anything, right? No. Oh. Exactly. Don't care. Fuck it. Yeah. Working out. Hanging and banging. Yeah. Well, how much you put up? Oh, just metric tons. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can tell. Nautical miles. Yeah. It's going to be powerful. We're back, baby. Back in the gym. Yeah, you look like you're pretty swole, as the kids would say. The kids would say that. Yeah. Powerfully swole. Diesel. Swole Jacked. Diesel. That's your rap name. Jacked. But Hans and Franz? Did you see them? Oh, I love Hans and Franz. There aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me now and believe me later. <laughs> Don't think about it ever. Oh, I love Hans and Franz. Powerful. What a great show. So you enjoyed that beer. Four out of five. Four out of five. Excellent. God, I'm excited for today's show. The powerful mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. Now we'll do a powerful segue. Let's do cheers, though. We always forget about cheers. All right. Since we have that powerful drink, I want the fans of Flock of Amish to hold up the beverage of choice. Tell, oh, I just got you that powerful. What did you think of that little shot I gave you? Uh, that was delicious. It was a strawberry uh, watermelon uh, five-hour energy. So this is the second five-hour energy I've had now. Ten hours of energy yeah. you have. So it's actually pretty good. It tastes, uh, so last week was the grape, which tastes like Dimatap, which still was good. But this strawberry watermelon was, I would say, two to three times better tasting. Whoa. Yeah. So that was, it was really good. Although those energy shots, I, I personally can't take that as just one shot. So I had to take it as two mini shots, but it was still good. You couldn't handle it all in one shot. No, I couldn't handle it all. That's I, uh, why I say, hey man, nice shot. Right, yeah. So it's uh, it was like two and a half hours each in each shot. So you were nursing it. Yeah, nursed powerfully a sh- nursed a shot. Yes, you did. Powerful. Sad. So hold up your drink of choice, my friends. As always, I have my powerful Desani Italian water. Cheers, my friends. All right, we are now going to get into a powerful song of the day. 
And what I did is I picked a mysterious song because we're talking about a powerful mystery in the Bermuda Triangle. Today's, today's, what's that? I said you did. I did. It's powerful. Have you heard that song before? No, I haven't actually. Cool. I want to hear what you think about it. It's from the powerful singer band, Krista Berg. Most people know Krista Berg from the powerful song Lady in Red. Right. Yes. So you sent me this song. I've never heard of it. I listened to it, and I think to myself, this can't be the same Chris DeBerg from Lady in Red, so I had to look it up, and sure as shit, it's Lady in Red Chris DeBerg. Have I ever let you down, Mike Rez? No, you've never let me down before. It just was shocking to see that. Powerful. I'm like ELO. Yeah. (laughs) I don't let you down. uh, Lady in... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to step on your touchdown call. The uh, Christaberg Lady in Red guy is also the Christaberg Don't Pay the Ferryman guy. Yes, and that is the powerful song, Don't Pay the Ferryman. Right. It's uh, from his 1982 album, The Getaway. It became Christaberg's first UK hit single almost eight years into his recording career when it entered the chart on October 23rd, 1982 and peaked at number 48, stayed on the chart for five weeks. In 1983, it reached number 34 on the Billboard Hot 100. So it had some good success for being a, a song about the ferryman. So I want to get your thoughts on that powerful song because I always thought how powerfully mysterious it was. Yes. The intro, the subject matter. Tell us your thoughts on the powerful Don't Pay the Ferryman. Well, it was pretty dark. I mean, uh, as far as, uh, you know, it's about the ferryman, you know, like the mythical character that you see. I have read about, you know, the river sticks. Yeah. And the river sticks. So I, I thought it was, it was pretty interesting and, and a good story slash song written about that character. I always actually, thought the band, good. the sticks and the Rolling Stones should have toured together. Sticks and stones. They've been powerful. Oh, that would have been sweet. Yes. I've seen one of them in concert. You have. You've yeah. seen the Rolling Stones. I did. The Voodoo Lounge Tour. Voodoo Lounge Tour. I've Powerful told you this memory. story. Powerful memory, isn't it? Yeah. I've seen Sticks many times. Powerful band. Oh, I love it. Don't yeah. pay the ferryman. Don't pay the ferryman. So it's a good song. I think everybody should go and listen to it. Um, that's a, another piece of homework I have for the flock after they drink their Juicy Haze Voodoo Ranger by Juicy New Haze, yep. We got to get you on show notes, too. I've been lacking on the show notes. Yeah, you have. But we do. You? But the good news is we do have a little secret coming up, a powerful secret YouTube. Secret YouTube. Check us out. Make sure you follow us on YouTube, Amish Baby Machine, to check out that powerful secret we got coming up. Wherever you enjoy podcasts, please leave a review. Rate us. Five-star rating. If you rate us five, you will unlock the secrets to the ferryman, which in the name of the ferryman is Dennis DeYoung. It'll take you right over the river sticks. Also, we have powerful merch, and I'm going to need you to purchase our merch. It's a great way to help support us. T-shirts, mugs, hoodies, stickers, masks. Masks. I got my mask for my show, the 945 show. Looks great. Powerful. So make sure you check out our merch. Also, Patreon, patreon patreon.com. Powerful way to help support our podcast. Also, we have links on AmishBabyMachine.com. Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. And as always, Twitter, at Amish B Machine. I love to talk to you guys. Check us out, at Amish B Machine. Yes. And we, I, we read the comments. So when you leave a comment, we actually see it and read it. 
We thank everybody who's left comments and reviews. Yes, I've met a lot of great people on Twitter. Yeah. And I continue and want to continue to meet more people, so make sure you follow us. And the easiest way on on our uh, podcast is to share it with a friend. Harvey, share it on Facebook. Share it on Twitter. Just share it. God, we love you. We love all of you. Thanks for listening. Now let's get into the most powerful part of the show today, the Bermuda Triangle and the disappearance of Flight 19. It began as nothing more than a routine training flight. At 2.10 p.m. on December 5th, 1945, five TBM Avenger torpedo bombers took off from a naval station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The planes, collectively known as Flight 19, were scheduled to tackle a three-hour exercise known as Navigation Problem Number 1. Their triangular flight plan called for them to head east from the Florida coast and conduct bombing runs at a place called Hens and Chicken Shoals. It would then turn north, proceed over the Grand Bahama Island before changing course a third time and flying southwest back to base. Save for one plane that only carried two men, each of the Avengers was crewed by three Navy men or Marines. Most of them have logged about 300 hours in the air. The flight's leader was Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor, an experienced pilot and veteran of several combat missions in World War II's Pacific Theater. At first, Flight 19's hop proceeded just as smoothly as the previous 18 that day. Taylor and his pilots buzzed over hens and chicken shoals at about 2.30 p.m. and dropped their practice bombs without an incident. But shortly after the patrol turned north for the second time and the second leg of its journey, something very strange happened. For reasons that are still unclear, Taylor became convinced that his Avengers compass was malfunctioning and that his planes had been flying in the wrong direction. The troubles only mounted after a front blew in, which brought in rain, gusty winds, and heavy cloud cover. Flight 19 became hopelessly disorientated. I don't know where we are, said one of the pilots said over the radio. We must have got lost after that last turn. Lieutenant Robert F. Cox, another Navy flight instructor who was flying near the Florida coast, was the first to overhear the patrol's radio communications. He immediately informed Air Station of the situation and then contacted the Avengers to ask if they needed assistance. Both of my compasses are out and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Taylor said, his voice sounding anxious. I'm over land, but it's broken. I'm sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down. Taylor's claim didn't seem to make sense. He made a scheduled pass over hens and chicken shoals in the Bahamas less than an hour earlier, but he now believed his planes have somehow drifted hundreds of miles off course and ended in the Florida Keys. The 27-year-old had just transferred to Fort Lauderdale from Miami, and many have speculated that he may have confused some of the islands of the Bahamas for the Keys. Under normal circumstances, pilots lost in the Atlantic were supposed to point their planes towards the setting sun and fly west towards the mainland. But Taylor had been convinced he was right over the Gulf of Mexico. Hoping to locate the Florida Peninsula, he made a fateful decision to steer Flight 19 northeast, a course that would only take them further out to sea. Some of his pilots seemed to recognize what he was, that he was making a mistake and said, Damn it! One of them griped over the radio. If he would just fly west, we would get home. Taylor was eventually persuaded to turn around and head west. But shortly after 6 p.m., 
He seems to have canceled the order and once again changed direction. We didn't go far enough west, he said, still worried that he might be in the Gulf. We may as well just turn around and go east again. His pilots argued against the decision. Some investigators even believe that one of the planes broke off and flew in a different direction. But most followed their commander's lead. Flight 19's radio transmission soon became increasingly faint as it meandered out to sea. When fuel began to run low, Taylor was heard prepping his men for a potential crash landing in the ocean. All planes close up tight, he said. We'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. A few minutes later, the Avengers' last radio communications were replaced by an eerie buzz of static. The Navy immediately scrambled search planes to hunt for the missing patrol. About 7.30 p.m., a pair of PBM Mariner flying boats took off from an air station north of Fort Lauderdale. Just 20 minutes later, however, one of them seemed to follow Flight 19's lead by suddenly vanishing off the radar. The remains of the Mariner and its 13-member crew were never recovered. But it's commonly believed that the seaplane exploded shortly after takeoff. Flying boats were notoriously accident-prone and were even nicknamed flying gas tanks for their propensity for catching fire. Suspicions that the seaplane may have gone up in flames were all but confirmed by a passing merchant ship which spotted a fireball and found evidence of an oil slick on the ocean. At first light the next day, the Navy dispatched more than 300 boats and aircraft to look for Flight 19 and the missing mariners. The search party spent five days combing through more than 300,000 square miles of territory to no avail. They just vanished, Navy Lieutenant David White later recalled. We had hundreds of planes out looking. We searched, searched over land and water for days and nobody found the bodies or any debris. A Navy board investigation was also left scratching its head. While it argued that Taylor might have confused the Bahamas for the Florida Keys after his compasses malfunction, it could find no clear explanation why Flight 19 had become so disorientated. Its members eventually attributed the loss to causes or reasons unknown. So what do you think, Mike Rez? I think that's kind of kind of spooky, but uh, sounds like maybe with their compasses not uh, not working right, he could have been over the Bahamas and not known it. Just didn't realize that he was flying in which direction. He Maybe he got confused over which direction they were going as far as, you know, because a lot of their headings are uh, by degrees and longitudes in the plane, so maybe he wasn't quite realizing what's going on. I mean, I did know, so one of the the details uh, in this story that we're reading uh, that it didn't mention was that Taylor was late to the uh, takeoff because they were supposed to take off like 20 minutes earlier. Yes. And he was late. And in one of the the reports that some people are saying that he also tried to get off of that training flight. So that's leading some to speculate that maybe he wasn't fit for flight, meaning maybe hung over or still drunk. Fit for duty? Yeah, fit for duty. Yep, and we're reading from history.com. It could be pilot error, could be compass malfunction, and pilot error, which would make for a uh, disastrous outcome, which it sounds like it has been. But I think uh, I, I, I kind of been 
as I've been reading these reports and stories, it sounds like more like he just got confused when he flew over the Bahamas, not knowing exactly where he was because of his compass not not working correctly and maybe him not being in a right frame of mind to even be up there in the first place. He's put over thousands of hours in flight. Correct. He's experienced. So all they told him to look for the sun. Right. And in some stories I read, he looked for, they couldn't find the sun. Okay. And then I've also heard things that weren't necessarily true, made have been made up that they said the ocean looked different to them. Yeah, I've heard, I've seen that in some stories too. And they, they said the ocean just didn't look right. And then uh, as far as the, not seeing the sun, the weather was getting, was turning on them. So it was getting more cloudy. Uh, so maybe they couldn't quite But it started it. out decent. Right. They said the ocean conditions were moderate or rough. Yeah. One of the uh, the experts, so-called experts, in one of the uh, stories, I think it was uh, on Wikipedia or some link off of Wikipedia, uh, they were talking about how rough the seas could be and that rogue waves could have played a role. But they said that the, the highest rogue wave ever recorded is 100 feet, so it would mean the planes had to have been flying really low in order for a rogue wave to take them out. Oh, you, you actually think a, a wave would knock them out of the air? Somebody does. Oh. There was some expert that, sounds, that did, yeah. Sounds a little it was weird. His, uh, his explanation was a rogue wave. I was like, well, you have to be flying awfully low. I thought you meant once they ditched the planes. That- no, no, no. He was saying the rogue wave was what brought them out of the sky. So they're saying the compasses malfunctioned. But was another a weird thing is they practiced the technique of dead reckoning. Yes. And they fly by the amount of time, and they need to see the sun also. Right. And and each plane did not have a clock in it, but they thought that the pilots had watches on them. Right, yeah, that that's like standard equipment usually for a pilot is to have a watch. And dead reckoning is flying based on time lapse, or like elapsed they use, time. They, yeah. they use the sun, they use the amount of time. Yep. And there's also um, vertigo, too. What happens when you when you don't know your horizon? You can't tell the sky from the ocean. Yeah, and that throws a lot of people spatial. They, spatially, they don't know what's going on. Right, and I actually I think the I've read before that the Navy doesn't want uh, you know pilots to do those funky maneuvers where they're flying all over the place and, and doing you know flying upside down because of that spatial recognition where you can get disoriented spatial disorientation that was a term i was looking for yeah you know because like you said you can't tell the difference between the ocean and the horizon and the sky you don't know if you're upside down or if you're right side up but there's a lot of weird stuff like he they were they were trying to get a hold of him on the radio and they said go to different channels and he wouldn't do it right yeah the search and rescue channel frequency yeah and whether or not he heard it or not nobody went there and they weren't, uh, what was the other thing they asked if they had the uh, IFF yes. um, beacon on? Yes. And nobody switched theirs on or nobody was able to tell them whether or not they had it or not. And these are, these aircraft are proven aircraft. They can fly high ceiling and they can fly a thousand miles fueled up. Yeah, so they so, can go pretty far. So it, it's a really a weird story. And each of them had at least two to three men in them. They had a tail gunner, a pilot, and, and a navigator. So you would think out of all these people... Someone would be yes. able to find their and way And then they, home. like, in the story I read, they said that 
you know, someone said, fuck it, you know, I'm, I'm, one of them took off. Why didn't they show up then? Yeah, because that plane didn't re didn't show up anywhere either. No. So that's why I, I wonder if that part is just something that people think happened because... Well, I heard it, well, it was on the radio, wasn't it? According to the story? According to the story, yeah. And there was other, um, what was it, one of the reports that the other pilots may not have taken over or just changed course anyway because of uh, military um, discipline. Yeah, they follow uh, the leader. I mean, yeah. the the boss, they do what the boss says. Right. But the other thing is weird. There was no SOS or Mayday. No. So you think if they're going down, they're down to their last 10 gallons, they're going to call out Mayday, Mayday. Each each one of these planes had a life raft. I don't know if you know that. That I wasn't aware of, no. That can hold three men. And, th and I've read reports where they said, you could this plane, you could ditch it in the ocean inflate that life raft and not even get wet really yes and nobody well as far as we can tell nobody did that because they weren't able to find anybody yeah out of the, all those planes you think one, one would have popped a life raft there would have been oil slicks yeah it's very strange or you would think that maybe that beacon they were asking if they had would automatically get triggered when they would ditch in the water because you know firefighters have that strobe light and alarm when they don't yes. move for like three or four seconds and it automatically starts. You would think a plane like that would have something. I mean, I know it's 1945, but even back then, I mean, if they had the transmitter, they have the life raft, you would think they would have some kind of technology where as soon as it ditches, something, it, some kind of signal, radio signal, radar signal is going to go out. Yeah, it's a really weird story. And then the, and those uh, other, that other plane went up, that seaplane, and and they think that exploded. Yeah. So then when he had 13 other people perishing. Right. That. So that plane was known for exp exploding. Or Which the potential. sounds weird to me, too. Yeah. I. So let's say you're in the Navy or the Air Force and you get assigned to that plane, knowing what that plane is capable of just blowing exactly. up. Exactly. Would you, would you ask to be reassigned? I don't know. I mean... <laughs> That's Can you the be thing asked with, to get reassigned? That's the thing with those guys. They're so brave. And what, what just freaked me out about this story is listening to what they're saying to each other when they're up there. And then there's got to be a point when they realize they're doomed. Yeah, that that's probably the one of the worst parts for me is just knowing. I don't want to know when I'm going to die. No. And knowing but, I mean, you're going to die. I, I'm not trying to compare this at all, but how many times have you been in your car driving around and you're lost? Yeah. And just that feeling? Yeah, the helplessness. Yes, of not knowing. I've just been lost in your car driving around. I mean, imagine that in a plane, you can't pull over, over the ocean. Over yeah. the ocean, looking at your gas tank, just your fuel going down, and you're screwed. Right. And that storm coming in. I mean, it's just horrible. Yeah, that'd be a horrible way to to end it right there. I think. And, the and then the and then the people on the ground listening. Helpless. Yeah, I was gonna say the only thing that would probably help me and try to get through that knowing that maybe this is going to be the last 10 minutes of my life is knowing that I have 13 other people in the same boat as me. I think it's one thing if you're in your car lost by yourself and you're like, oh shit, where am I? And that's a helpless feeling. But if there's somebody in the car with you, you're like, well, at least there's somebody with me to get me through this a little bit. If you have 13 other people, it still sucks, but you're not alone in you know, the last moments of your life. I mean, it's weird. That plane, that plane had some famous people flying it too. Paul Newman was a tail gunner in one of those planes. Really? Yes. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, President Bush, World War II, he actually crashed. Oh, is that the plane he crashed in? Yeah. Was it? Yes. That'd be uh, World War II and dogfights and, and airplane, World War II airplanes really get me. I mean, I'm really like, love those stories. I'll consume those stories all, all day long. No, but you know, that, that was a sol- solid plane. Yeah. And, and just for five of them to vanish, not be, and I understand it was rough seas, but you think one of them would have shot off some flares. Some kind of distress signal. Yes. You think it was, it must've been catastrophic, right? Because they were running out of fuel. You'd have think they could have ditched it and there would have been like a Mayday or an SOS or something. I don't know. Yeah. And the fact that it's over the Bermuda Triangle adds to the mystery as well is that they weren't the first five planes or ships to be lost in that area and there has been other avenger wreckage found yeah they thought it was them but it wasn't yeah right here in my notes here in the last 50 years three thousand ships and a hundred aircraft that's crazy in that area yes in the area with the bermuda triangle is from florida keys over to grand bahama island and puerto rico puerto rico yeah. yeah and it's a massive area but still, there's been a lot of mystery, a lot of, I mean, right there, this is, you know, I don't know when it's been updated, but 3,000 ships, 100 aircraft. Yeah, I don't think there's, there's got to be something going on. I think you and I even discussed, um, I know I've heard, I can't remember what you've heard, that some kind of magnetic field, a stronger magnetic pull in that area. Um, I know compasses, you know, north and true north. You know, that gets kind of tricky. I don't, I'm not smart enough to even go into that <laughs> right now. But something can happen in a magnetic field to your compass. And I know some people believe, and I I believe that there's something going on in that area known as the Bermuda Triangle that's screwing up compasses enough to get ships and planes disoriented and they're not ending up where they should be and then disappearing off the face of the earth for somehow. And they're, they can't even find wreckage. Yeah, I mean, it's just weird how he got lost. It's not like he was flying in some area that he's, he wasn't familiar with. That's what really kind of spooked me. Right. And like I said, you 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 don't know where you're going, you're, you're lost, fly west. You're saying they couldn't see the sun, they couldn't find the sun. It's really a weird story. Yeah, and the fact that there were 18 other missions before theirs, and there was missions taking off after them. Yes. As well, that's where that, that other... Uh, flight leader Cox came into play because he was on his own mission, leading his own mission, and he was still trying to guide them back. And even his transmissions may or may not have gotten to him. Yeah, because there's theories on storms, maybe water spouts. Um, massive thunderstorms have downbursts, microbursts. Mm-hmm. But to not to not find any wreckage, and I know it's a massive area, but to not find an oil slick, to, to find something floating. Plotsam and Jetsam. Ever. Yes, ever. <laughs> yeah, and they found that other plane that went down pretty quick. They found the oil slick. Exactly. Because the boat... The one that blew up. Yeah, there was a Mariner ship... And he that, saw it. ...that saw it. You'd think you would see five planes go In down. In formation. Yeah, some some ship would probably see that, you know, because it's not like they just all of a sudden dropped out of the sky unless, like you said, there's some kind of microburst from a thunderstorm or something that they flew through. But a water spout. Something, yeah, just... It's a mystery. Like we said, there's other plane wreckage that has been found, other Avenger planes, 
So they weren't the first five to go down, and they weren't the last five to go down, but that wreckage was found. There is one story of a pilot where he flew through this massive cloud and it opened up as a tunnel, and he believes he went through time. Like a vortex? Yes. He actually time-traveled through. Where did he think he ended up? Well, he well, what happened is it it shaved like about a half hour off his trip, and that was a weird thing. Apparently, he flew through this this cloud and it opened up, and just kind of had a tunnel, and he kept flying through it. And then he looked at his watch, and it somehow he lost a half hour. I mean, I don't know if it's a true story, but it's 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 just bizarre. Yeah. I mean, something happened to these planes, and it, and to me, I just think it's weird that they got lost too. Right. You think aliens could be involved? And I'm not mean saying it to be like a smart ass no. jackass. I mean if uh close encounters of the third kind yeah. they talk about they that. They talk about that, yeah. Flight nineteen. Yeah, for the flock that don't know spoiler alert, flight nineteen is referenced in close encounters of the third kind. Do you think something like that could happen? I I try to I try to think of, you know, the most the easiest thing, the most plausible. I mean, the whole thing is when he showed up late and he didn't want to take these pilots out, it was weird. And then you hear stories about pilots, you know, being depressed and did he want a suicide mission and take all these guys out? I'm yeah. not, you know, speaking bad about the guy, but right, yeah, you who, just who you don't know what your what the frame of mind is. And I know the family was upset because originally the Navy said it was his fault. Yeah, his mom had him change it because they couldn't find the planes or the bodies. So that's when they switched it to cause causes unknown or cause unknown. Yeah. I mean, something happened to the compass. They heard that on the radio. Right, yeah. He was complaining about the compass. So that happened. Yep. And they kept flying around. They were lost. I mean, like I said, the only analogy I can make of it is driving. You know, there's been times you're driving and you're with your wife or girlfriend and they're yelling at you and you're turning and you're, you're going further away. Yeah. So, I mean, and with the, you know, the with the vertigo... Was that going on? They don't know. Did they drive themselves into the ocean? But they kept flying. They have a thousand miles they can fly in these planes when they're fueled up. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of flight. It really is. Yeah, and if you're going further and further out in the ocean, it's uh, it could be you could be anywhere. Especially if they're saying they're they're they lost radio contact because of how far out they're going. I mean, imagine how what the ranges of those radio signals are. And do you know why they didn't um? put up any planes right away i think it was the weather weather related okay so after that mariner went down then the next day they sent up other other planes and sent out the other ships and searched for five days but i remember some of the stories they were saying that the weather made such a bad turn it was so dark uh you know they sent the two mariners up to try to find them and bring them back home and the one goes down and then I think after that, they I think they called it after that. What was the Malaysian flight that disappeared in the last couple of years? Oh, yeah. Um, That's another weird the one. The Indian Ocean, over the Indian Ocean. Yeah. yeah. That's make, another make, weird one. Make that weird turn. Yep. And then disappear. And Yeah, that's the other, what I was just thinking of when I was hearing, reading this story about the turn. He kept making those weird turns. Yeah. And they think that maybe the autopilot or the, the co-pilot may have been on a suicide mission in that, that flight, last I heard. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you never want to think like that, but something's really weird. Something actually happened. Their compasses didn't work. They got lost, and they were trying to tell them to, to switch over so they could triangul- triangulate their location. Mm-hmm. And it's just a it's a weird story. 
Yeah, it's kind of weird that like the most important radio communications they tried to have were the ones that weren't heard. But like the least important ones like where are you or you know, make this turn or what's going on, that was heard, but switch to this frequency or do you have this beacon on your plane and that wasn't heard. I know. Something something's weird. Yeah. There's 14 people. You would think somebody would have heard one of those. It's weird that they all only heard the ones, the least important of all the transmissions. So were you, were you familiar with this story before I brought it up? Uh, I was familiar with a story. So the, the version I heard, and I don't know if it was these five planes involved, but I remember when I was a kid hearing about the Bermuda Triangle, and the story I heard were five planes disappeared and then found near Mars. That was the story I heard when I was a kid. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So that's obviously that part of the story was true, but the part about Mars was not true. So what did you guys think listening? What do you think took down those five planes? I mean, I like I said, all I can think of was those poor guys knowing that they're screwed. Right. I mean, it's one thing if some, like, hopefully those poor guys on the one plane that blew up, hopefully that happened so quickly that... You know, he had no idea what happened. Right, yeah. That's but these guys were just flying into oblivion. Yeah, and they knew what was coming. Yep. It was a powerful episode today. What did you think, Mike Riz? I thought it was great. Another mysterious topic for us to discuss. What happened, what didn't happen. Curious to see what the flock thinks. Excellent. We appreciate everyone that listens to this powerful episode. We hope you guys had a good time tonight listening. We just ask you one thing. Please tell a friend about our podcast. What are you sh- he's showing me some up-to-date thing. What are well, we sh- no, I want, I want to make sure that everybody knows Magenta Vice is coming up after the show. Powerful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so I'll get this in, and then you can finish up with your... I, don't well, I just want... I just... You. Every episode, we really appreciate it. For me and Mike Rez, we're talking, and we appreciate that people like what we're talking about. And if you, if you do enjoy it, please tell a friend about it, and say hi on Twitter, at Amish B Machine. We, I do have some shout outs here, Mike Rez. Okay. And then um, and we'll get into Magenta Vice. Yeah, we'll get into Magenta okay. Vice right now. We got some hot new music. All right. So we got some new music coming at you, Flock. Magenta Vice, which is a local synthwave group from here in the Twin Cities. And uh, they just came out with their debut single. And we're going to play it for you. It's called Night Cycle. And you can get this if you go to bandcamp.com. It is available as a name your price song right now so go to bandcamp.com search magenta vice the name of the song is called night cycle listen to it purchase it you're going to listen to it here right after the shout outs it will play us out as they say in the business correct check them out on instagram powerfully handsome band that's right they are yes very synth wavy excellent thank you magenta vice for your powerful music and now let's end out the show with our powerful shout outs We have Filled Cups Waiting to be Spilled. That's a powerful podcast. Mm. Fight Cusp Roy. Yeah, that Roy. Married Crazy Pod and Vlog. Those Sinking Vibrations and Elfer. Once again, thank you for listening to this powerful podcast. Stick around for the end. Powerful music from Magenta Vice. And until next time, you've just enjoyed the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast.
Thank you for listening to the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast. It is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else fine podcasts are found. Please support our podcast through Patreon and shop our merch at AmishBabyMachine.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. This has been an Amish Baby Machine production.